Politicians and their policies are making our community less safe. I'm Under Sheriff Jim Barnes. After working in the Sacramento Sheriff's Office for 24 years, there's one thing I know. This job is not for politicians. I've been twice named Employee of the Year for my work in homicide and sexual assault investigations. Law enforcement is what I know. I'm supported by the men and women who fight on the front lines to keep you safe every day. I'd be honored to receive your vote and serve as your next sheriff. We in here, yeah, we in here, cause we been here. We in here, yeah, we in here, cause we been here. Yeah, we in here, cause we been here, we in here. That's it. Well, happy Monday and welcome to another episode of Black versus the Board of Education. My name is Miss Laureen and the crew is here. But before they introduce themselves today, we are going to be connecting the dots. A lot of times we know how our community feels when it comes to law enforcement. You have polarizing views on either side. And I believe in order to actually um, function in society, we're going to have to talk. And we're going to have to get an understanding and we're going to have to let people know where we're coming from. So we're going to do that. And we're going to wait for under Sheriff Jim Barnes to join us when he was having some audio technical difficulties, but hopefully we can get that straightened out and he can pop in. But while we're waiting for him, why don't we go to my co-host? Let me get myself on up out the way um, and let my co-host introduce themselves. We will go on the order in the screen, starting with you, Miss Melissa. Hi everyone, my name is Melissa. I'm 15 years old and I am in Inglewood, California. Perfect, welcome back to the party, boo. Uh, Samuel, it's on you. Hello, my name is Samuel. Uh, I live in Georgia. I'm in, I'm going to be in sixth grade. All right, sixth grader. Hey, Miss Leah, uh, Miss Jada, it's on you. Hey y'all, my name is Jada. I am a 17 year old homeschooled incoming senior and I'm so glad to be back. And you put a little too, too much emphasis on that senior thing, it's all good. Uh, Miss Anaya, cause I know I'm not ready yet. Miss Anaya, it's on you. Hey everyone, I'm Anaya and I'll be going into my senior year. Okay, so Anaya's in her senior year, and do me a favor. I don't know if we need to back up off the mic, but it was really loud. Um, and I see our guest is in the building, so we're going to try out his audio and make sure it's on. Uh, Under Sheriff uh, Jim Barnes is in the building. Can you go ahead and say hey so we can see if we have you connected? No, we can't hear you. <laughs> Okay, he's gonna call on the phone. Okay, perfect. So while we're waiting for him, we have a couple of announcements. Uh, I just have to give a shout out to our very own Melissa who will be competing this week in the LA Youth Poet Laureate contest, correct? You are one of 15 finalists and we're gonna uh, actually be flying out of Sacramento, Jada and I, uh, on Thursday to come and attend that with you. So we're excited about that. Can't wait to see you represent 
Also, for folks who don't know, this uh, up this January, I'm sorry, June, January, ooh, June marks our month where we have celebration weekend. So this month on June 24th and 26th, we will be holding uh, two very important events. The 24th, we are going to have our Shades of Melanin uh, formal type of uh, outside little shindig. Um, and we invite the community to join us. You can get your tickets online. Also, we are having our annual Black uh, grad. So we're doing promoters, pre-K, elementary, and middle school. Uh, we're also doing our graduates, our high school graduates and our college. Once again, you can get your tickets. They are available right now via our website. And we're going to see if we can get uh, under Chef Barnes in here so we can hear him. So try it again. <laughs> Let me hear you. Oh, I hear you laughing. <laughs> can you hear me now? <laughs> yes, we can hear you. Sorry, I had to uh, switch to my phone. I figured I, I'm, tr I'm done trying to figure the computer out. So I hope this works. <laughs> Yes, it's working and we welcome you to this space. Why don't you go ahead and take a moment to introduce yourselves for folks who don't know you. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself to the community and say, hey. Hey, no, I want to say thank you, number one. Uh, allow me to be here. I'm Jim Barnes. I'm currently the undersheriff for the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office. And, and what that means, it's a long title, but it really means is I'm the number two in the organization for the entire sheriff's office. Uh, been there for 24 years and I've worked every level in the organization from entry level all the way to now to the number two. Uh, and I'm really excited to be part of the discussion. I know I was able to come through there with the candidate interview and just to see the, you know, Miss Jade, I remember talking to you and, and the confidence in which you had. And so I'm excited to see you again. And I believe it was Sam and I apologize. The names are small on my phone. So if I misspell it, that's why I'm, if I lean in, it's just because I'm trying to see it. But I believe I saw Sam on, on the when we did the candidate interview also. But uh, you know, I enjoy talking to the youth because that's our future. And so I, I'm happy to be part of the discussion. Just really humbled that you allowed me to come back. So thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. And I know that our students are kind of excited to get the, the episode going. So, you know, there's a lot of talk in our community, especially the black community and their mistrust for police. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, being that you're trying to assume the number one position um, in the sheriff's department uh, here in Sacramento, we know that the sheriff's department has been under a lot of scrutiny. And so what type of things are you trying to do um, to really um, change the trajectory? If you feel that there needs to be a change in trajectory, um, what you're trying to do occupying, running to occupy that, that front spot. No, that's a great question. And it's one I get asked a lot. And, and, and I think it's a, an important topic because if you think about where we are in law enforcement, I have a saying that says when the community's expectations change, we need to change and we need to figure out what that is and how do we not compromise public safety. And one thing I take pride in is everybody has a voice and, you know, how do we get there? And inside the sheriff's office, not a lot of people know we have a youth services unit. We have a sheriff's activity league. Um, we have a community relations unit. And we try and get out and engage our communities in non-law enforcement capacities. But there's still those negative interactions. And so that's, that's what we have to constantly tackle. There are members of our community who support law enforcement, support the sheriff's office. And then there's those who don't because they've had bad encounters. And that's where it's my job is to get involved in how do we bridge those gaps. And that's what I'm excited about moving forward. Um, just for the group, uh, you know, since I've been obviously on the on the job as a commander in the north area, something that we were able to utilize and start is what we call community response teams. And it occurred to me that, you know, if there's a violent crime in our community as law enforcement, we respond. We will do our best to offer 
uh, render aid, get evidence, absolutely try and find out who's responsible and, and hold them accountable. But at the end of that call, we leave and that family is still suffering from that trauma. And so this concept of community response teams of having when we show up, partner with community response teams so they can engage with the family to offer, you know, wraparound services, meal services and what we can do that they can be the liaison with the sheriff's office and the family. And so we've been working on that for three years. We have a pilot program in our north area and it's my goal to take it countywide. And I, you know, that's kind of the start of saying this is something I've done proactively, but really my job as soon as one day one will be sit down and let's all get to the table and figure out how do we fix this? How do we build that trust? And that's what I'm looking forward to moving forward. Melissa or Samuel, you see your hand. So uh, you said that there are those gaps between people that dislike the sheriff's office and people that support it. How, what is your plan to build bridges between those gaps and kind of reinstall trust into the police department? That is, a, that is an excellent question. And I will tell you, uh, the, the one thing I've learned in my journey as running for sheriff is for me, I'm just Jim. You know, I, I grew up in South Modesto. And unfortunately, when I get here right now, everybody sees me as the undersheriff and it has a title. And so what I've learned in that journey is there's influence and that influence is being able to utilize that position in a positive way to get community leaders and community youth uh, who are engaged to say, you know, this is how we want to see policing moving forward. Um, but there's really also an educational component. I think we need to do in law enforcement. We're very reactive. Uh, a complaint will come in or a concern will come in from a community member and we will start explaining it away. And a lot of people walk away and go, okay, we understand. And I think we can do better on that on the front end of an education component of what we do, why we do what we do. And uh, I'm excited about that. And we actually just started is about seven weeks ago now as a community academy. So we invite members of our community into the law enforcement world of what we do and we learn from each other. And I'm looking to how do we do that with a youth kind of community academy as well? Because I'll tell you my goal, every chance I get talking to all of you, if I could hire you someday in the sheriff's office, I would love that because we need that help moving forward. And so, Sam, it's a great question, but it's an ongoing challenge for me is finding ways of how do I get the gap? How do we bridge that gap? But I gotta be able to hear the voices and be willing to listen to what needs to change. And I hear a little bit of feedback. I don't know where that's coming from, um, but as you were talking under Sheriff Barnes, um, it was it started staticking. So I don't know if it's somebody's calling your phone or something. I'm not really sure what's going on, but we'll monitor that. Yeah, it was text messages, so I apologize. It's a busy okay. time for me right now. <laughs> Understood. The, the primary is tomorrow, so yes. I understand it's a very busy time. Melissa, did you have a question? or? Yeah, What's I have a question. I have a question. Um, and it's bouncing off of what Sam was saying about the distrust and the gaps between different parts of the community. And my question is, do you think that those negative thoughts and opinions based on, are, are those negative thoughts and opinions, are they justified when it comes to law enforcement? Like, I know that they can have their own, their own, everyone has biases. So do you think that those are justified, those thoughts and opinions? Well, I, I look at it this way, we're all human beings. And you know, we have human beings providing that service. And if someone in the community feels that there is mistrust, uh, all I would ever ask for is how do we build that? Um, you know, one of the, one of the, I guess, challenges I've been kind of pushing, you know, pushing back in some of these conversations. And I challenge all of you, what conversations are you having in your own household? And what is, what is being, and if there's a misunderstanding, um, 
how do we how do we bridge that gap? If it's a ride along, if it's coming, we do these academies. That's it. But I will never question anybody's mindset on the fact that they feel that they've had a negative interaction and or if it's justified. That is their that is their opinion. And my my job would be is how do we fix it? And I always say I want to find a group of individuals. We when we start, you know, we will hopefully win tomorrow. Uh, moving forward is really is link arms and how do we fix it because we can talk about the challenges in the past but we'll never get down the road if all we do is stare in that rear view mirror you know you got to take a peek every now and then to kind of remind ourselves hey this is a bad time we went through or when we've linked arms and a bad incident happens in our region or in the nation we can't look at each other and go see nothing's changed we have to say no we're going to be part of this change and that that's what i'm excited about and that's how i've been able to build those relationships with communities um, is my commitment because I show up and uh, when I say I'm going to follow through, I follow through and that's really just offering those spaces. And, and in my mindset is hear those tough conversations because I don't have lived experience, so I can't speak yeah. from that. And so when I say that is here, you know, let me hear you and then let me help in whatever way I can to help build, build those bridges. But let's stay committed to fixing this and not take that pause and say nothing has changed. Um, but that's going to take trust in me showing up every day. And can I ask you to do something for me? And I know this is probably uh, untraditional, um, but can you go out and come back in? Because there's something on your microphone when you're talking, it's getting really, really statically, staticky. Okay. And I want folks to be able to hear what it is that you're saying. Um, and we'll address this comment when you come back in. And I know that Jada has something to say and Sam wants to follow up. So if you can go out and come back in and maybe put the phone on do not disturb, because once your messages came through, it kind of messed up your audio. So uh, if you can try that, we'll, we'll just wait for you to come back. Yes, I'll do that again. Sorry for all the problems. No problem. It's all good. We understand technology around here. We're pros <laughs> at it at this point. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Right, so so while we're awaiting uh, Sheriff Barnes's under Sheriff Barnes's return, um, I want to say to the community that you are absolutely um, invited to engage in this dialogue. Uh, we are not uh, proposing a quick fix or an overnight fix. We understand the uh, the different things that our communities have gone through. Um, the, the question of, is it justified? Um, that's something that I believe any type of response that comes out of a negative encounter is absolutely justified. Um, does that mean that I paint everybody with a uh, brush? No. Nah. A wide brush, no. So uh, the com the comment said Trans transparency builds trust. Publishing local use of force stats would go a long way towards bridging the gap. How are you feeling about transparency? And then Jada will come to you. That, that's a great question. We actually have that under our website right now where we will identify use of force. There's been laws that have been passed that require us to um, put that on a forward facing website. And that's what, if it's not up to date right now, I know we're working on it because it's mandated by law, but really is also not just putting something on a website. Again, I think it's about discussions of getting into community and hear, you know, interactions that have happened. And then I would ask as someone shares their, their interaction, number one, uh, you know, how do we move forward from this? Let me fix it. Um, but also the accountability side, when you talk about transparency is when, if there is a bad actor in the sheriff's office, um, you know, I've proven it up many times I've recommended termination and it's been upheld. Uh, I have a philosophy as best as a standard, and that is how we're going to conduct ourselves as being professionally. And, um, you know, I could say this on the front end cause it sounds all good, but I have to prove it to you. 
And that's my proof over the 24 years of being in community and listening and offering those platforms and being willing to find out how do I use my influence or my position to help move a cause forward. That's what I'm committed to. But transparency, we have to do it. Uh, when you talk about uh, the custody or the main jail setting right now, we're actually moving towards body cameras for our correctional officers, uh, which will offer another layer of transparency. And so that for me is something I'm excited about and find out ways. How do we continue to uh, build that trust? And you see the question right here. It says, uh, and actually we'll go to the question after Jada and Sam. So okay. Jada, go ahead. Um, I personally feel like Miss uh, Fiza really, I guess, kind of led, like kind of built that foundation of my question, which was basically going to be about how I'm not sure if your role can you have a influence on this, um, whatever position that you're in for sheriff. I'm not sure if your role like allows this or not, but I was just wondering how you plan to hold your fellow police officers accountable when there are things where they overuse their force or you know police brutality etc cetera, etc cetera, when it's used towards the black community because um i agree that another way to build that trust the court system and when it comes to police officers who have committed police brutality they haven't been held accountable and you know it's kind of just been this repeating of just constant letdown within the black community it's like it's something that we're used to and it shouldn't be something that we're used to and in your position i feel like you have an important role because you can be the change that we would like to see. So how do you plan on holding your fellow police officers accountable? What kind of ideas, what kind of disciplinary action do you plan to take when police officers like that use police brutality? Well, I can tell you this, in my, even in my current role and even as a captain prior to me <clears throat> promoting to chief and then appointed to undersheriff, I've done that. And there have been times it's a use of force instance goes way outside the law, the policy and our termination was recommended and upheld. Um, those are ones that we don't go out and say, hey, we look, we terminated this person to try and prove we're doing that. Um, that is something that whenever the uh, the forward facing website goes, it talks about the use of force and usually there's an outcome to it. So that's it. And then hearing, hearing about these uh, incidents, when you're talking about uh, if someone is, brut if it's police brutality, again, I can only prove it, but I tell you this, that is, that is absolutely Law enforcement doesn't need that, number one. Law enforcement doesn't want that. And I know in the sheriff's office, we can't have that. Um, and that is really of that layer of accountability. When it comes to our attention, we have to look at everything. Uh, and under the Peace Officer Bill of Rights, they have a little layer of protection when it comes to questioning. But with body cameras and video and everything we have, we're starting to see if we have someone who's conducting themselves in that way, we take swift action. Samuel. So what was my uh, question? My question is, what is your strategy to reduce excessive force in, in the Sacramento Police Department? Well, thank you, Samuel. Uh, it, what we do is it's training. We continue to offer de-escalation training. We also, uh, we're trying to find, right now I'm putting together a research and development team to find out if there's a law enforcement agency out there that has like top-notch training uh, that is also lowered use of force incidents, then we're gonna send people and go learn from them and find out what that training is so we can have it. You know, here's another component too, I, I want to, I'd kind of like to lift up if possible. So I worked homicide for four years and I saw a lot of death and destruction, uh, over 300 to be exactly. And I did more death notifications I ever care to admit. And I watched families torn apart. And I will tell you, I went to the darkest places of my life because I couldn't shut the movie reel off of the scenes that I saw. And I got to a point, my wife saved my life because she actually said, I mean, 
contemplated suicide, it was an option because there was no way I could shut my mind off at night. And so she talked me into going to get help. And I did. And uh, I have a saying now, everybody hears me and they laugh because I have a sign over my door says, get your mind right. Because I went and got the help that I needed. I got my faith in line. But it also put on a light bulb in my head was how many other officers are going under stress, maybe taking it home, having stress coming from home into the job. And so when you interact and you say, give me your ID, you know, can I see your ID? No. And instead of just saying, please, it turns into a cuss word or it turns something that might escalate that up. So I've actually looking into statistics right now in our agency about who has been on calls for service. Those ones, we have a tracking system internally that will track if someone is now rising on the on the level, let's say they now have 10 complaints of uh, discourteous treatment, neglect, or whatever it may be, we're starting to look at that individual and find out what is it. Is it something that they're carrying that's causing them to work out of frustration? Or, and in that measuring stick, is it someone that that's just their bad behavior? And we're going to address those. But I brought, I only bring that up not as a woe is me or pity me, but it's something I experienced. And being able to talk about that to the members of the organization and share that so they can maybe come forward and get the help so their life does not unravel and they don't bring those frustrations that they're going through uh, to work every day. Because that, that, I think, is also an indicator of some use of force incidents. Yeah, and I don't know what happened to your audio, but right in the middle of your sentence, it started crackling again. Um, but I want to go to these. Um, the question in the chat, it says, prior to this campaign, how active have you been within the community? That's a great question. Uh, that has been my pride ever since I started the job. I mean, as a young officer, we would find ways to connect to the community. As I was able to elevate, I was able to engage more. As a commander in the, in the South Patrol, let's say 2015, <clears throat> we did a community youth art project and we actually reposted that on my, my uh, campaign website because I wanted to prove I'm not just active in the community because I'm running for sheriff. This is something long before I decided to run for sheriff that I was doing. And we had a community youth art project where uh, it was a big old storage. Imagine a big shipping container that you see coming off of a shipping, like an ocean liner. And it was, it was not, it did not look pretty at all. And so what we did because we had to store property and it, it was an eyesore in our parking lot. And so I gave a vision. I said, Hey, I'd love to do a community youth, some sort of an art project, a mural. I had officers who loved to do it. And I just, I gave them the space to run and go, go do it. They got someone for the short of truth uh, museum and we did a paint by number. So I didn't even mess it up and uh, it ended up working out good, but it was, it was a, it was a sense of community and we had a lot of at-risk teens and, there was an individual there that had, he said, Hey, I'd been on parole most of my life and I'm not now, but I would never, my wildest dreams thinks I'd be standing next to an officer with a paintbrush. And so it's, it's actions like that. It's times of me as a commander in the branch jail, even in the North area, when we started the community response teams and violence intervention teams, having the tough conversations after George Floyd, that was well before I decided to run for sheriff. So hopefully that, that's just a snapshot, but I'll tell you, I don't need the title. I've had a blessed career. The way I grew up, I'll tell you, never my wildest dreams. If you'd have told me as a kid on welfare, someday I'd be the number two, maybe going to the number one position in the organization, I'd say no way. Uh, so this is more than just a title for me. This is about, we need to fix this. And I know I have the influence in the organization and I have the willingness to get to the table and give everybody a voice to figure out how do we do it. And we want to shout out Miss Shona uh, McDaniels over at Sojourner Truth Museum. Uh, yes. Because we, lo we love the work that she does. And Miss Anaya, <laughs> you said you had a question. So we'll go to you and then I'll go to Miss Faze's question in the chat. Okay. 
So my question is, how will you be involved in the school districts? And to kind of explain that more, basically, so at my school, we have, we don't have like security guards and they're not armed or anything, but it's like campus security. So my question is, how will you be working with them so they can better serve the kids at school? That, that's a great question, especially uh, in what we see in, across the nation right now. Um, for me, it's we have the, the Sheriff's Activity League and the Youth Services Unit that really engage the schools. Um, but we have contracts through the Oak Grove Unified School District where we do have officers there. Um, for me, it's about I, 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 I got this presentation about probably five, six years ago, and it was called Focus. And I know I'm going to miss it, but it's I think it's focusing on children under stress. And this is what we're looking to move towards Sacramento County is one be on campus. If we're allowed, some administrators don't want us on campus. Um, but looking at ways of how do we interact with youth in a non-law enforcement capacity, because I would say every interaction is a potential recruitment opportunity for you to come work for the sheriff's office. And I would love that. But I go back to that acronym on focus and this, this correlates with schools is we're working towards this program right now that if firefighter response, ambulance, law enforcement comes into a home and there's children in the home, and let's say it's two in the morning, whether it's a medical where you know, someone's doing CPR on grandma, what we do is it's an alert to the school and we're gonna get everybody on board and get a voice before we move forward with this. But this is one of those thoughts of how do we notify the school system that they had a stressful environment that night? Because what ends up happening is they'll come in and let's say it's CPR and it's medical and they're watching their grandma and all of a sudden go to the hospital not knowing if she's gonna survive. A lot of the kids are still sent to school to go to school. Well, what if you have a test that day? What if you have a big project due that day and you get a bad grade? And how do we find a way to alert the schools to maybe handle with care um, by not giving up information that says what happened? That's none of their business, what happened. But just the opportunity to maybe give, maybe give someone a little opportunity. We're giving an extra day to study for that test and not have to come down hard on them on a grade. And so that's something that's a little bifurcated in what you asked. But for me, it's how do we stay engaged in the schools? It's I, I got to hear what is needed before I can say what we're going to do. I'll tell you right now what I've been doing over the last year is really just listening and not try to offer solutions and really trying to hear what we need and then how do we fit in. Perfect. And so there, the question in the chat, it says, would, would you pursue reopening the investigation into former Chief Adams for community closure? Now, if I'm if I'm recalling correctly, that was the chief over in Rancho Cordova. Is that which... Is that what that is? Chief Adams? Uh-oh, did his audio go out? Uh-oh. No, I can't hear you. Can you guys hear him? Is it just me? No. Okay, go out and come back in. <laughs> okay. Kate Adams. Okay. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, go out and come back in. <laughs> so why why we wait for uh, him to do that? I don't know what's going on today. Good Lord. Um, what did you guys think about that that idea of, of alerting the schools to the potential stress uh, that a child may have suffered the night before? Are you on, on board with that? Or do you think it's crazy, Samuel? What do you think? I think, like, it's, it's a fair argument. I think it is... Um, it prioritizes mental health rather mm. than just, hey, you got school, you got a test, you better do it, or you're not getting, or, or 
or you got to do it later. Like it prioritizes more of the student's health more than the school's GPA, mm. student's GPA or attendance. Now try your mic again. Can I hear you this time? I think, can you hear me now? <laughs> okay. All right. So, so let me answer that question before. I don't want anything to break on. And I promise that was not timed. I have no idea what happened. But the question was, obviously, would I consider reopening that investigation? Here, I have to kind of ex explain the process and what it is. Um, that investigation came forward as, as a complaint between two high-level officials within the organization. One of them, as a witness, was the person who oversaw our internal affairs program. So as that first complaint had nothing to do with uh, the, the investigation that we see in the news and the racial meme, um, it was just a complaint between the two. So it was decided that an outside entity would do that investigation to find out what's going on between those two employees. During that investigation, someone produced this photo of a racial meme, which now started a secondary investigation to look into that. During that investigation, before it was concluded, uh, Chief Adams retired, which is something we cannot stop, unfortunately. Uh, I will tell you that was a termination case all day long. Um, mm. But she was able to she was able to retire before. You can, there's no law that prohibits that. And that's nothing we can stop because the law have, uh, if if Chief Adams were to try and get hired with the sheriff's office again. Yes, that that investigation gets opened up and finalized, which would be, as mentioned, a termination case. Um, if she doesn't try and get hired with the, the sheriff's office or any other agency, it just stays the way it was at the time. You know, it's, it's considered incomplete because she retired. So mm. a lot of people ask what I would do. I will tell you there were a few things that were wrong with that. Um, the person who produced that photo against Chief Adams apparently had held on to that for about seven years and decided to produce it uh, in that investigation. So if I had a chance, which we, I do not have the authority to do so because of the way that works on those laws. Uh, I would have tough questions for the person who received that photo and failed to bring it forward when they got it. Mm. All right. Well, I, I think that that, and I think a lot of times um, the issues with, you know, the community in terms of requesting transparency is sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And there seems to be a lot of secrecy um, that surrounds um, the police departments in general, um, and, and, you know, specifically when it comes to things where, um, the black community is affected or when it comes to things, um, like that meme, you will see a lot of deference being given by folks who share the same skin color as the offender. But when you have black folks come and say, this person should have never been working, then you see this, like, this desire to gaslight folks and to say, okay, well, what about black on black crime? What about y'all have other things to worry about? And so when, when I heard you say that sometimes we have to stop looking in the rear view mirror and kind of move forward, what I think about is all of the different incidents that happen that are just like the ones that people are telling us to get over or to not look back at. This, it's, like a, it's like Groundhog's Day. Um, every day it's a different name, but the same type of situation. So knowing that um, within the Black community, there is a mistrust. Um, there are even people who won't sit down and have conversations um, because they don't too much care for the police department. And so I think that by 
having you here today and having our students have access, um, this is a, a starting point um, because we all have to coexist in this community together, whether we want to or not, but how we engage is important. So what type of community relationships are you hoping um, to grasp a hold of to better inform your decision-making as the top official here in Sacramento? Well, I will tell you, I'm, I'm looking to get community leaders and have like a community advisory board uh, when there's issues that are happening in communities um, and be able to hear what would be the best step moving forward, going forward, not just the only decision. Um, what happened? Start. <laughs> Your audio went poof. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> You'll be okay. Just go out and come back. <laughs> come. <laughs> I mean, I felt like he was really re leading up to that, you know, that climactic answer. And he was really getting getting there. And then I don't know what happened. Uh, the phone is hating or the somebody don't want him to talk to us. It's all good. He'll be back. Uh, oh, good gracious. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's like Zoom where they can call in from their phone. Um, I don't think we have that option, but he's back. So let's try that again. I'm not hearing you now. We can hear you. Oh, Lord. How about now? No? So, let me I see. Hear. I don't know, but we hear you. So, so why, he, why he's trying to get his audio up? Y'all talk to me, talk to me. What are you thinking? I wanted to add something um, the first time that he dropped out when we were talking about what we think about students being able to be prioritized and given day off if something happens and it's related to like law enforcement. Um, I think that not only prioritizes mental health in students like Sam said, but it can also help support like the black community and students who may not have another caretaker in the home or someone or not mm -hmm. have a support system. Like how he was saying, if you are with living with your grandma or something like that and something happens in the, in the middle of the night and you're alone, you know, having someone else to come in and tell you, you know, it's okay, you can take a day off that, that kind of takes a load off of students and could be especially those black students who don't have another caretaker or don't have another support system. Mm. So can you hear us? I can. I'm gonna say, can I make a request next go around? Can we be in person? <laughs> Absolutely. You come see us. <laughs> Absolutely. No problem. So okay. What were we talking about? Because I felt like you were getting to an answer and then you went, you disappeared. I so, think you, yeah, you'd mentioned about what community, how would I go without just making a sole decision maker? And that, that for me is having a community advisory board uh, set with community leaders and, and being able to hear it. I'll, I will tell you this too, is trying to identify the right community leaders who are in it for the right reasons and not for, I don't want to say self-fulfilling, but I, I've learned that over my career. There's some people that want, um, maybe be there, but they're not really to put in the work. And, you know, uh, we'll let, we'll leave the names out of it, but I need the right community leaders that will be willing to tell me exactly what I need to hear and not what I want to hear because they think it, they, I will keep them close. We got to have those tough conversations. I have to hear it. I'm willing to take, take whatever it is and move forward. And so that's, that's the big one is I can't do this alone. 
Oh, I'm glad that you can recognize that because again, we all have to coexist together. Samuel. Okay, so my question was, what what brought you in, and why do why did you want to enter the law enforcement field? That's a great question. Uh, you know, I. I never wanted to be in law enforcement. You know, when I was a kid and I said it in the candidate interview, you know, my dad, I, I grew up in a domestic violence household and my dad took his bad days on my mom, my brother and I, and uh, my mom was smart, got us out of that environment. And that's where we were on welfare for a while until she got on her feet. And so I was able to navigate life, but my mom put me through uh, athletics. That's what I excelled in in football. And I had good mentors that got me to Sacramento to play football, Sacramento state. And when I was done, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I had a friend who worked at probation, so I tried the probation officer route. And then I had another friend come in and ask me if I wanted to work for the sheriff's office. And I was like, no, my dad ran from the law. You know, I, I, there was nobody in my family that was in law, law enforcement. And so for me, I went <clears throat> on a ride along and that's when I got hooked is being able to see that sense of service in the community and protection. Uh, it felt like a calling to me more than a job. And so I would say here I am 24 years later. It looks like it was like a blink of an eye. I remember the day I started January 5th, 1998. I started the Academy and it seems just like yesterday, but I look back and you know, it's, it's not about me. It's about my purpose and what can I do while I'm here to move things forward. And you have a question in the chat and uh, Miss Janine says, I want to know why Caucasian protesters are deemed as peaceful and people of color are not. And I don't know what that means, people of color. I'm not sure what that means, but um, I guess everybody non-white. No, I hear you. I, I think that that's a broad question. Uh, but when you talk about what we saw downtown, I say peaceful protesting and people that are angry, screaming, yelling, everything, that's fine. When you start vandalizing and breaking things and setting things on fire, that's no longer peaceful. Um, so to identify who was peaceful, who was not peaceful, because we had a lot of peaceful demonstrations that I say, that I heard anger and, and rightfully so. And it, for me, that's what I identified peaceful versus non-peaceful. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It's just, if you're breaking up buildings and you're trying to break windows and set them on fire, that is not a peaceful protest. And I think that that, that question kind of leads into something else. So um, a lot of times when we talk about police brutality or we talk about the things that we're seeing happen in our communities, a lot of times it seems like um, officers know how to treat people who look like them. The only issue they tend to have is when people who look like me. So I'm trying to understand and I'm trying to, and I think that's where this question is going, okay. is there's there doesn't seem to be a lot of required training for um, officers to interact with white folks. It's just when they interact with black folks that they tend to do a lot more and they, they their patience is a lot thinner and their trigger finger is a lot quicker. At least that is the perception right. um, that one gets based on everything we see constantly in the news media, media and on social media. So when, when you are dealing with communities um, like that who have this mistrust or this um, disdain for the law enforcement community. And it seems like anytime things are brought up that may be uncomfortable, we get gaslit about that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to understand um, because I understand the whole, we need more training, um, but it just seems like that's selective training in my opinion, um, because it doesn't seem 
to be something that is required for them to deal with uh, folks who share their same skin tone. No, I, I, I hear you. And I think uh, what we have to be honest about in law enforcement is something I challenge my officers when I go into briefings is um, if you're familiar with the Sacramento area, you know, do you uh, enforce jaywalking the same in East Sac as you do in Oak Park? Mm. And uh, if you're going to, if that's a different answer question, then we got to get to the why. Why is that? And that's, that's the area. Those are the layers that we need to peel back in law enforcement. And that I think has led or contributing to what you just talked about. And so being able to look at it from that lens and being the person myself where I have a, like in my, in my profession, in my department, I got a lot of street credit because I did work in law. I've worked patrol for a long time. I did detectives for over eight years. So when I tell people, Hey, we need to really start looking at these issues. They may be with a raised eyebrow, may not, but they're going to do what I asked them to do because that's how we're going to start fixing this is being, is it equitable? And if it's not, why not? And have those tough conversations on the why nots and how do we fix it moving forward? And this might be a question that gets me in trouble, um, but I want you to explain to me what is the difference between you and your opponent? Oh, I would say the difference between me and my opponent is, you know, he, he, he did policing 30 years ago. And I think policing back in the 90s during the tough on crime bills and what we just described is people going into homes and taking people to go away to prison uh, is what we're dealing with now because those young kids who saw that are now parents and having kids. Um, and my opponent, yeah, he was in policing, but he went to the Capitol, uh, has now turned into being a politician. And he seems to change or sway the way he votes. And it's not in, it's not in line with always public safety. And that bothers me. You know, when you look at the communities we have and the inflation we have, and I'm just going to touch on just one simple voting record. The gas prices right now are absolutely out of control right now. And he failed to even cast a vote on giving relief on the gas tax. And you don't, you know, you know, and I'll say that people, politicians get up there and scream about people in underserved communities and how there's this injustice. But here we have it right now where we have day laborers not knowing if they can feed their family or put gas in their gas tanks to do their job for the day. And where, where's the outcry for that? And so for me, the difference between the two of us is he turned into a politician and I've been a protector and I've always been that way. And I don't let the influence of, of a certain, whatever party it might be, make my uh, decision-making. It's about, we need to make changes in our communities and having the right person who's willing to listen and come to the table and give everybody a voice and being able to have the, the influence in the organization to move that needle that way now, look, we may never in my time as sheriff may never see that change that we really want. But if we can move that needle and start moving in the right direction, the people who come in behind me be coming behind all of you, uh, they're going to be thankful we made these decisions. And so for me, that's the biggest decision. And I ask if you really want to know, Google both of us and you will see the difference between the two of us. Um, and so that's why I do it. I, I don't. You know, he's a human being. He's trying to win sheriff and I'll never get in his way. But uh, I look at it this way. I know why I'm doing it. And I don't need the title. I'm doing it for the right reasons to have these discussions and hear from all of you how we move this forward. Now you're making me make a whole lot of faces. And so stop. Miss uh, <laughs> Janine asks in the chat, what grade would you give the, sher the sheriff's department in this current climate? And then after you answer this, Anaya is going to take it away. Okay, so I will tell you this, uh, I will, the effort of the people in the Sheriff's Department, we're ready for that change. So I'm going to give you a grade that's going to be absolutely probably not agreed with. But I would say I look at us as a B plus. And I say B plus because we have the amazing people showing up every day wanting to do the job. We get to that A and A plus effort when we start making some of these fundamental shifts that we're talking about right now. 
My goal is to take the sheriff's office to a level it's never seen before and have other law enforcement agencies learn from us on community relations, on how have we navigated making those fundamental shifts in law enforcement. I'm confident we're going to get there because this is what I'm here to do. It, it feels right. I mean, I feel my faith is right. And I feel like once we can get to the table, learn these issues and moving forward, the grade letter to me is not always anything because we always have to improve. But I love the people who show up every day to do this work, to put their lives in dangers for all of us. Uh, that means something to me. So I give a high level of a grade on that because they're willing to do it. When it comes to what changes we need, that's when we move it to the A and A plus category. Okay, Miss Anaya. So I'm sure we've all heard of, I guess, the question of if you were to move like law enforcement into black communities, because we know like there is a lot of distrust between black communities and the um, law enforcement. So if you were, do you think that if you were to move the law enforcement to be more active in black communities, do you think that is more so a fear tactic or a tactic to build relationships between the black community and law enforcement? That's a great question. Uh, if you think of moving law enforcement into, into communities of color, we have to look at how we're doing it. Cause I'll tell you right now, how we're doing now is not working. And uh, so let's say there's an increase in violent crime in let's just say a neighborhood and you live in the current model or had been in the past was you, you put more officers in that area. You find people if, if, if they're on probation, parole, you stop them, you search them, but you also find these people that might be driving through working their tails off for their families that has a busted taillight that gets stopped not only once twice three and four times and we start upsetting our communities so being innovative on the new approaches to crime so i would i would encourage you all to do research look at dallas pd and chief eddie garcia so i have a mutual or we have a mutual friend and when he left san jose pd he went to dallas pd and when he went, him and I were talking about what we were trying to do in the North area about how do we utilize a university, maybe some Again. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I promise you, I think people are calling him while he's on here. And it's messing up the audio. That's what I think it is. Um, but he says something about Dallas and Eddie Garcia and uh, something. Uh, we'll wait for him to pop back in. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. That B plus is is very generous. Uh, maybe we should. Uh, <laughs> see, they're saying it was getting good. <laughs> Man, I was excited. I was on a roll. Somebody, somebody hit the commercial button on me. <laughs> oh, so you were talking about uh, Dallas PD, yes. Eddie Garcia, and y'all talking Garcia. about what you wanted to do in the North area. Take it yes. from there. We were moving then the North areas the same way as we utilized crime stats. So what he did is he, he, I think he went with the University of Texas and they looked at all of Dallas and they put it in small grids. They found out what were the highest calls for service. And most of them were um, like apartment buildings. And so what I talked about using community-based organizations and faith-based organizations to help some of the issues we're having before we even get involved, uh, that is the biggest issue for me. So he did that. Uh, they said apartment complexes were there. He brought in uh, Department of Health Services, help people with welfare, whatever they need. They put all the services in the door first, and law enforcement was the last one through the door. And so while crime was going up and all across the country, Dallas, it went down. 
And I remember mm-hmm. when they published him in New York Times, I called Eddie. I said, you did it. You figured it out. And he's all, he's all that was a great idea. So I'm going to take that model because he actually utilized the university that was broader than what I was thinking. I was thinking more of mm-hmm. using our internal analytics. But um, to be able to use that, and if we have a high crime area, what other county partners, community-based organizations, and faith-based organizations can we really come together at a table and go, how do we fix this issue in this area? Let everybody that does a brilliant work get to work first. And then if it's too dangerous or where we need to get involved, that's when we come in. But we should not be the first one through the door all the time. Melissa and then Sam. Um, okay, so I wanted to go back to something you said about mental health um, and from your own experiences with mental health, given the law enforcement position, how do you want to help improve mental health within the pol- within police and law enforcement, knowing how important it is based on your experiences? And even if that isn't something that you can do in your position, what would you like to see happen? Well, what we are doing when it comes to the sheriff's office is we just contracted not only with a community chaplain, but we got our own dedicated psychologist for the department. So they can now walk around through the departments, go to briefings, and they become that relationship. And once they're familiar, they will be more likely to go get the help. Um, because calling an unknown person off of an 800, you know, through employee assistance program, you don't, you're not going to guarantee you're going to have that trust. So we're being able to do that. We're also moving to three different phases where we're going to start in the very beginning in the academy, start talking about mental health and wellness and mental resiliency. Then we're also going to implement something, whether it's every two years to four years in the, or excuse me, every two years in the, or the first five years, then every two years out unpacking the cumulative trauma and stress that they might be going through. Uh, so those are the, those are the two factors. And the third factor is uh, being able to partner with like more of the significant West Coast trauma centers, um, the ones that maybe somebody has gone down that path where they're really contemplating suicide, um, or if they're in there, getting them to the specialty and getting that help. Those are the, those are the four ones that are really down the road. Um, and so I'm excited about that because I think we're going to see a, a real correlation in reduced use of force incidents because uh, you're going to have more patience, as we mm-hmm. talked about when you're interacting with the community and not working through frustration. Um, I would like to see those people who are struggling with having patients sit out until they have the patients because we don't want folks who are anxious mm -hmm. or or have some issues going out and police in our communities. Um, And I'm I'm only uh, shortening your answer because I have a whole bunch of questions that I want to get to in the chat, but Samuel says he has something to say and I want to try to get it in in the last 10 minutes. So we're going to do a quick uh, answer round Robin uh, after this. Go ahead, Samuel. Okay, so my question was, basically, you're you're saying you're putting in practice new training for your, for the officers and the police and the Sacramento the police department, sheriff the, sheriff's department, sheriff's That's department. Okay. But what are what are the specifics in this new train in this new training? Like, how are you addressing wrongful or traffic stops for for black people and mishandling of traffic of traffic stops in including black people. So I just want the specifics on the training. No, that's good. That's, that's a two-part question regarding the uh, regarding the training. That is what I said is I'm putting a research and development team to find out who local 
locally, regionally, or even in the nation and law enforcement has the cutting edge technology that has been proven that they've been able to reduce uh, use of force incidents and encounters. Once we find out what agencies are, we're going to send our people there to learn from them and we can bring that training back to the sheriff's office. When it comes to vehicle stops, as you know, every vehicle um, in the sheriff's office of patrol vehicles are equipped with in-car camera and every officer is equipped with a body camera. So every interaction is captured uh, during those. So if a complaint were to come in, we immediately go to the body camera and in-car camera to say, did this happen? If it, if it is proven that it happened, the next level is a full investigation starts. And then it comes to the type of discipline that is needed. If it is a uh, maybe a cuss word that goes towards that individual, that's still discourteous treatment. It's upheld. And then there's layers of discipline that's given to people. If it's a repeat offender, then we start looking at levying, uh, getting them out of patrol, getting them the help that they might need. Um, but I've also recommended that and have done that where we find someone that doesn't need, we believe doesn't fit the standard uh, in patrol and they need to go get the help they do. Like you mentioned, we do pull them off the street, put them in desk duty and, and until they can get the help they need. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm going to say these, if you can give me a, 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 a quick answer, we can get through as yeah. many of these as we can. Um, so the first one, Miss Kimberly, so shout out to Miss Kimberly. So we are so sorry we had to cancel last week. Uh, it was Memorial Day and the kids didn't want to come in. So uh, Miss Kimberly, so asked, how will you handle evictions in this housing crisis? Yeah, well, it's tough. We're, we're bound by what the courts tell us to do. And uh, we have to go out and we do the service. We provide that notice. So hopefully we give the person the individual. But this is an eviction does not happen by the sheriff's office. That goes through an actual court process where a judge gives a, uh, a direction to the process servers. And then there's a layer of levels of uh, timelines. And if that's not met, that's when the sheriff's office comes and does a standby and asks them to grab what they can. They'll change the locks and then come back with that individual if they need to grab the rest of their property. So we are bound by the law on that one as the sheriff's office. I have no discretion when it comes to that. And then Miss Tawana says, uh, now everybody's talking about this B plus you gave. Uh, I just want to let you know <laughs> there I, is a gap in between in between what uh, you gave and what some folks in the community are giving. Um, they're saying specifically that they think a C minus is a lot fairer. Um, but I think that what you did was gave the B plus on from the inside and we're yeah. giving the grade from the outside. So how can we kind of bridge the gap between those two grades um, so that they <laughs> they're not lighting up the chat like this? No, no, I get it. Uh, I didn't get good grades in school, so I, I'm going to give a higher grade. No, in, in all honesty, that goes to show that having more conversations like this, obviously, from my perspective, I, I have I have a high, high level of respect for the officers and everybody that show up, everybody that do that job. Uh, but the end user being our community may not be feeling those positive impacts. And so having conversations like this is why it's important. So there's always going to be that. My goal is how do we bring that grade up from where I'm mm -hmm. getting evaluated right now? And I would hope. A year from now, when we have a conversation as sheriff, or we can go and maybe I've, I've moved that from a C minus, maybe you get me up to a B minus. And uh, eventually my goal, by the time I'm done, we'll get up to that B plus. And the goal would really be is we figure this out and, and, and people are coming to learn from us, from community interactions and law enforcement. And then uh, Ms. Janine also, she's the one who gave the C minus grade. And she says, uh, we don't know who the law enforcement, who law enforcement, with who are on patrol in our area they don't engage in conversation with the public they yeah. should participate more in events and engage with the community what are your thoughts on that 
No, that's good. And absolutely right. We got to get out of the cars and talk to our community, not on calls for service. And I will tell you this, and this is where educational component comes. Uh, in any area, let's say you live in North Sacramento, by about 10 a.m., there's about 40 calls for service pending. That means that officer, as soon as they're done with that call, they go to the next call. And that, that usually go down maybe to 2025, but very rarely does it ever get to zero. And so mm -hmm. they don't take the time to stop and handle the call. They get in, can I help you? Or is the law broken? Nope, boom, and they're on to the next call. And that's something I've been preaching. Slow down, let's get out and engage. We also have, I'm not sure if you're all familiar with unity and communities. We have three more this summer. Um, I believe one is out towards maybe Rancho Marietta area. We had one at Gibbons Park in the north area. We're going to have one at Rudder, uh, Rudder Park. And I believe one more in the north area. So if you follow our webpage or social media platforms, look out for those. And I would encourage you to try and try and find a way to make it to those because you're going to see a lot of our personnel. We have our helicopter. We have all of our uh, explosive ordnance detail equipment, the robots out there. We have every asset that we use in our organization. And it's an opportunity for us to engage in a non-law enforcement capacity. Because if you want to help understand what we do, we would love to have those interactions on that level. So my goal, you're right, get out of the car, slow down. But unfortunately, those calls right now keep stacking up and they feel the stress of having to get to the next call. But that's where I have to figure that out. And then uh, Ms. Faza said, uh, city of Rancho has said they don't get to see the personnel files when selecting officers from Sac County. I don't want a pop officer who instigated a civil rights lawsuit while he was on a previous assignment in the jail. Undersheriff, can you make some changes so necessary disclosures are made to my city while also maintaining the privacy of your officers during the selection process? We want to feel safe around our officers. Well, that's a great question, and I know who you're talking about. And uh, the personnel file follows the officer to the divisions. And I know there's a great relationship with the leadership of Rancho Cordova and the city manager. So those conversations can happen about an employee. But I will tell you, uh, Rancho Cordova, they get to hand select all of their officers, where the rest of the county, north area, south area, or even the east, kind of the uh, Rancho Cordova, but more towards the Bradshaw area. Uh, they go based off seniority. So they get to select if they want better days off, they get to move. And we can't prevent that because that's a seniority base. Rancho Cordova gets to handpick. That individual, as you know, was recommended for termination. It was upheld. That person went to arbitration, which was by uh, a hearing officer, which is equivalent to a judge. Both sides went and presented the case. And that hearing officer who's away from the sheriff's office made the decision and said the county had to hire that individual back. And so when they make that decision, now what do I do as a leaders? We have a tough conversation with that individual and said, here's the level of expectations. We need to make sure we uphold those moving forward. And any, you know, any misconduct again will be dealt with swiftly just as it was on that one. And, you know, we are running out on our time together. We absolutely appreciate you for coming yes. in. But I wanted to say uh, at least one thing and might delve into a couple. Um, but you mentioned at the top that uh, you want folks to come in and see what the sheriff's office is about. He said, you said whether it's ride-alongs or coming in and having discussions at whatever events that it is that you all are holding. What I would do on the flip side, what I would suggest is that some of your officers start coming to some of these community events um, without their uniform and getting to know the folks in the community. Um, they can come on a ride along with me. I'd love to take them to one of the school districts with me um, because I think that there's there's this thing where folks want us to 
understand and sympathize with what law enforcement goes through. And I'm not discounting that. I believe that, you know, mentally and physically you all go through a lot, but the stress that some of your officers take out on the community that has to be acknowledged as well. And so I invite y'all to come to our community events uh, without your uniform and come and just immerse yourself in what's going on in community because without that, it is one-sided when we're just coming to whatever the sheriff's department is proposing we come to. Um, look, you have, Ken, if I may, you, you, have yes. my word, you have my word that you give me an event and we're going to show up to. Oh, I am so glad you said that. So listen, um, aside from Miss Melissa, I want everybody to send Melissa good thoughts and, and, and energy. She is competing this weekend for the LA Youth uh, Poet Laureate. Um, in out Los Angeles, we are flying out on um, Thursday to go support her. But uh, Sheriff Barnes, we have Celebration Weekend coming up. Okay. Celebration Weekend is the 24th of June, our uh, Shades of Melanin Soiree. That means y'all bring your browns, your creams, or whatever shade melanin you want to and come join us for a scholarship fundraiser. We are raising money um, for our students, class of 2022 students who are going off to college. So we want all the participation that we can get. And then that Sunday, June 26th, will be our annual Black grad celebration over here in Elk Grove at District 56. Tickets are available on our website. So make sure you pop in there and uh, cop your tickets. So Without further ado, we have run out of time for the day. So we are going to hit you with the wave. We ask that you join us next Monday right here on Facebook and YouTube, where our guest will be Dr. Elise Verscher from uh, that recently resigned from West Campus here in Sacramento. So yeah, go ahead and hit them with the wave. We'll see y'all next week. Take care. Sam. <laughs> Sam. <laughs>